Hello and welcome back to Cinema at First Sight. It is episode two of season three, maybe. I don't know. I've lost track. I'm recording these in bulk, but if this is your first time listening, hello, welcome. The premise of this podcast is that I either watch the first episode of a TV show or the first half of a movie and review it based on as little information as possible, making wild assumptions about what's going to happen next, which, as always, is what I'm going to do today. So, the movie that I am tackling is the 2021 version of Suicide Squad called The Suicide Squad. It's a sequel slash remake slash reimagining of the universally hated 2016 movie. Honestly, I don't really know what it is, but after some research, apparently neither does the producer. He said to think of it as its own entity that doesn't change anything about the world or the characters established in the original, so therefore it can't be classified as a remake, but also doesn't use it as a foundation, so therefore can't be classified as a sequel, so I have no idea what I have just watched. But let's move along to the first question, is this a rewatch or is this a first time watch? It came out, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, so this is a first time watch. Actually, at the time of recording this, I'm still in Sydney in lockdown, so yes, again, technically it still hasn't come out because at this point, what even is a cinema? However, I have seen the 2016 Suicide Squad. I actually saw it the day it came out because it came out on my birthday and I wanted to go to the movies, but that's super irrelevant and I don't know why I brought it up. This is going to sound insanely controversial, but I actually kind of liked Suicide Squad. Don't attack me. I thought it was fun. I liked the concept of villains begrudgingly being forced to band together and work on the side of justice to take down a common enemy. And I thought the cast was insane. I thought the soundtrack was bomb. Though also saying that, I went in with literally no expectations, because if you've tuned into Cinema at First Sight before, you'll know I'm not exactly tapped into the superhero movie realm. Basing this on almost nothing, if I had to pick between Marvel and DC, I'd probably pick Marvel. So again, the fact that before watching 2016 Suicide Squad, all I knew was that it was a DC movie didn't really do anything for me. But I walked out pleasantly surprised, and I don't know why everyone thoroughly hated it and considers it one of the worst movies ever made. And in my research, because yes, I pre-gamed for this podcast with a hefty Wikipedia search, apparently James Gunn, the director of this newest Suicide Squad iteration, thought that the original was pretty good too. The first thing he did when he signed on to do this was watch the original, and he said that he acknowledged the movie's terrible reception, but that there were some aspects that he loved and wanted to incorporate, and was a huge fan of the casting. Hence his decision to bring back some of the actors to reprise their roles in this one. But I'm getting way ahead of myself. I honestly just wanted some sort of validation for liking the first one, because I was starting to think I was straight up insane. Birds of Prey? Different story. That film is horrendous, one of the worst things I've ever seen, and people really don't talk enough about how bad it is, but Suicide Squad? Honestly, perfectly fine. This was an insane tangent, I'm so sorry. Let's just actually get into this movie. The entire movie is 2 minutes and 13 minutes long, so I obviously stopped after 1 hour, 6 minutes, and around 30 seconds, so I'll take you through some of the basic plot points that have been covered so far. So the movie just starts immediately, no preamble, and we're introduced to a new villain slash prisoner, Savant, who is being recruited by Amanda Waller, aka Viola Davis, to join the Suicide Squad, which for newcomers to this concept is a team comprising of DC villains who, in exchange for years off their prison sentence, fight on the side of good instead of evil and enact justice. Kind of like a Dexter murdering serial killers vibe. 
We're then introduced to the throng of squad members, some new, some old. We have Pete Davidson as Blackguard, Nathan Fillion as the detachable kid who can literally detach his limbs to attack people from multiple directions, as well as some familiar faces, Jay Courtney as exaggeratedly bogan Aussie stereotype Captain Boomerang, Joel Kinnaman as squad leader Rick Flagg, and of course, Margot Robbie as psychiatrist turned psychotic, immature serial killer Harley Quinn all of whom we think are going to be the main players of this movie. They're sent on an unknown mission, however we discover that Pete Davidson has sold them all out and tipped off the enemies. Pretty much everyone begins to then be sanctimoniously murdered, and Savant, understandably, straight up starts screaming and trying to flee the mission, but clearly Amanda's not having it, so ever the problem solver, presses a button, has him blown up, and cues the title sequence. We then jump back in time and are now in prison again where we meet Bloodsport, aka Robert Dubois, aka Idris Elba, who's been locked up for killing Superman, a power move, quite the murderous resume. Amanda's got her eye on him to head up a second Suicide Squad task force, but he does not seem keen. His daughter then comes to visit him after being caught stealing, and while their relationship is clearly rocky and punctuated with quite the dramatic screaming match, Amanda manages to blackmail Robert into leading this new Task Force X in exchange for keeping his daughter out of prison. The morals are nowhere to be found. Turns out, Amanda has an entire new lineup of criminals to join this task force, including John Cena as no-nonsense, fratboy-esque peacemaker, Polka Dot Man, whose weapon of choice is expelling poisonous polka dots from his body, Ratcatcher 2, daughter of Ratcatcher 1, who has the technology to communicate with rats and control them to do her evil bidding, and King Shark, a carnivorous shark-human hybrid voiced by Sylvester Stallone. Name a less intimidating and more iconic squad of legends. Already, I was questioning what this movie was. Amanda then explains to them her latest mission, and this is honestly where I tuned out because it got a bit complicated and political, so I'm going to let Wikipedia take over from here. The government on South American island nation Corto Maltese is overthrown by an anti-American regime. So Amanda's decided to form an additional Suicide Squad task force to destroy a Nazi-era laboratory holding a top-secret alien experiment called Project Starfish. That was a lot. Good luck trying to keep up. What is this experiment? Your guess so far is as good as mine. We're then back to the present, aka the beginning of the movie, after the first task force have been murdered, thanks to Pete Davidson's big mouth. However, plot twist, Harley Quinn managed to survive. Who would have guessed? Margot Robbie wasn't killed off in the first five minutes, and has since been held captive by the court Maltese government. How very Star Wars. The second task force are now also given the job of saving Harley Quinn and killing anyone who gets in their way, which they very much do. After a sea of messy and very comically gruesome deaths, they finally break into what they think is the facility where Harley's being held, slash where they can find more information about how to take down Project Starfish, but instead find Rick Flagg, aka leader of Task Force One, who apparently also survived, sipping tea with the leader of the Freedom Fighters. Plot twist, Task Force Two have just accidentally brutally murdered a bunch of the wrong people. An easy mistake, we've all been there. Meanwhile, we cut to the actual bad guys. Actually, that's a bit vague. Everyone's a villain in this movie. We cut to the people the Suicide Squad task force are attempting to take down and meet the creator of Project Starfish, aka Peter Capaldi. We learn that Project Starfish is a literal starfish that can split itself into multiple starfish and then feed on people's consciousnesses. 
And now we're back with Harley Quinn, who's actually having a pretty rockin' time post-capture. She gets a makeover, she gets taken to a palace, where she then low-key strikes up, like, a rom-com-style relationship with the president of Corto Maltese. And by low-key, I mean he literally proposes to her. The Joker who? It looks like they're gonna live happily ever after until out of nowhere, Harley Quinn just straight up shoots him. And no, not because she's American and trigger happy, but because she said after her last relationship, she promised she'd be on the lookout for red flags and do the healthy thing and nip a toxic relationship in the bud. Queen of self-care and boundaries. This obviously doesn't go down well with the Corte Maltese government, so she's once again held captive, and an even more vicious president is appointed. He demands that the heads of the new Suicide Squad task force be sent to him, and I'm gonna go out on a limb and assume he means detached. And that is officially the halfway mark. As expected, an action-packed beginning. It wouldn't be a superhero blockbuster if it hadn't been. So, let's just get right into it. What are some of my favourite moments, or moments that I consider to be most exciting or most pivotal? I think just my favourite thing about the movie overall is the very campy, fun vibe. It absolutely does not take itself seriously, which is so great, and also weirdly refreshing for superhero movies, which in itself is weird. You'd think the fact that superhero movies are about fictional figures, normally in Lycra, flying around with magic powers would mean that they're pretty lighthearted. But for the past, like, 10, 20 years, they're made and taken so seriously and treated like highbrow, contemplative arthouse cinema. Like, the fact that Marvel films tend to be award show contenders is insane to me. Not that they're bad, but just, like, how? What world are we living in? Actually, who am I kidding? Money is how. But this wasn't like that at all. I read in my research, because I just wanted to remind you once again that I did do research prior to recording this podcast, look at me go, that Warner Brothers said after the widespread hate the first one received that they gave new director James Gunn full freedom to do whatever he wanted with the film. And honestly, it shows. There feels like there was no studio intervention here at all. He took creative license and ran with it. He said, I want a half-man, half-shot crime fighter. He said, I want an R rating. He said, I want the biggest threat to the USA to be a starfish. And I'm here for it. And similarly, another thing that I'm a fan of about this movie is the meme-ish gore. It's violent and gory for sure, but in a way that's completely unrealistic and therefore funny and approachable, if not disgusting. Again, also in that vein, I think the fact that so many characters are killed and James Gunn doesn't seem to care is iconic. I feel like, again, with a lot of superhero movies, they're in it for the franchise. They maybe kill off a couple of minor characters to create drama, but then make sure everyone important lives so they can appear in the subsequent 700 sequels. But James Gunn literally said kill them all. He's in it for a good time, not a long time, and so far, the insane body count reflects that. Continuing down my praising James Gunn path, I really like that he didn't create a totally new universe that contradicts the first Suicide Squad. And I like that he didn't take the original film's horrendous reception as a warning to go in a completely different direction for the sake of doing something original. He incorporated the elements from the first one that he liked, like how fun and loud it is, and also picked a great cast. Which is another thing. I really liked that while the cast of this movie does look quite different, there are still characters played by the original actors like Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn and Jay Courtney as Captain Boomerang and Viola Davis as Amanda Waller. And yes, a whole bunch of new actors, but all of whom are playing new roles. None of the original characters have been recast, so there is potentially room for them to join in future films. Because even though this is going against the grain a little bit, it's still a superhero franchise, so there will be future films. 
I think James Gunn's choice to approach this movie in this way is A, a class act, very respectful, and B, also just a good, objective, creative choice. So, bravo. But I also like that while the movie doesn't seem to contradict the 2016 Suicide Squad, it's also its own thing. My pet peeve with Marvel movies is that you apparently need to have seen every single film in their entire cinematic universe to understand any single one of them. I did a review recently on the first half of Black Widow, little self-plug, and spoiler alert, didn't understand a single thing, because most of it's just references to other Marvel movies that I'm really not bothered to watch, and yes, that's on me. But I didn't feel like that with this, because this isn't a sequel or a part of a universe that requires any prerequisite knowledge. You can just watch this movie on its own and it makes total sense and immerses you in its world. Again, insanely refreshing, because I don't want to have to study to watch a two-hour movie in my free time. Even though, ironically, that is what I have done to research for this podcast, but that was completely voluntary. But enough about me and my lack of life. Moving on to the next thing that I was a fan of, I am really enjoying the banter between Peacemaker slash John Cena and Bloodshot slash Idris Elba. There's a definite rivalry there over who's the best villain and the most effective killer. And honestly, it's like watching two frat guys have a chugging contest. I'm so here for it. And yeah, now I'm going to move on to some smaller specific things that I was a fan of. I like the fact that the big weapon that they're trying to destroy is a literal starfish. That's so funny. I also like the fact that Harley Quinn in this movie is wearing red and black, aka the comic book character's original color palette. A cute nod that I actually picked up on. Really, this is just me patting myself on the back for understanding a reference very much outside of my wheelhouse. And again, this is super, super small. But during the scene when Amanda's walking bloodshot around the prison and showing him his new fellow Suicide Squad task force recruits, one of the inmates yells out and harasses Polka Dot and makes fun of him, which, like, fair, his superpower is throwing Polka Dots. And that inmate is played by Sean Gunn, aka Kirk from Gilmore Girls. How iconic. At first, I was like, how did he even get the part? Did he audition for yelling inmate number three? And then I googled it and realized Sean Gunn is the brother of James Gunn, the director of the movie. Hollywood, it's all about who you know. But you know, this podcast isn't all just going to be praise for DC and its ability to actually make a good movie. I'm now going to move on to my least favorite moments or moments that I consider to be least exciting or least pivotal. This is potentially very controversial, but I'm honestly not the biggest fan of this portrayal of Harley Quinn, and I know I'm going to need to elaborate immensely. This is no shade on Margot Robbie. I think she's killing it. And I don't hate the character of Harley Quinn, which is why she's, spoiler alert, not on my list of least favorite characters. I just personally think that my favorite depiction of her slash the most nuanced shades of her we get to see are in the 2016 Suicide Squad. I know, it's a hot take. I really liked her particular brand of crazy in that movie, and I also liked being able to see flashbacks to who she was in her past pre-Joker life. However, in Birds of Prey, her character is the worst thing I've ever seen. She becomes an aggressively heightened, insane caricature, which I mean, I guess makes sense because she's literally a comic book character, but in that film, she's the most annoying person on earth, and I honestly didn't care whether she lived or died. TBH was rooting for the latter. So in this, is Harley Quinn anywhere near that bad? Definitely not but her character is still a little more caricature than she was in the first Suicide Squad. And I just miss the dainty bit of subtlety we used to have. Also, why did she develop a Boston accent all of a sudden? She does have some pretty bopping outfits though, and her choice to murder the president of Corto Maltese is a power move, so I'm still a fan. 
And another one of my least favorite things is while I am finding it genuinely funny and enjoyable, occasionally, because it is the comedy of the absurd, it verges into cringe territory. Sometimes the jokes cross the line and get a little bit stupid for me, but also at the same time, it is in keeping with the vibe and I actually don't mind that much. However, in terms of the least pivotal moment, I don't think we've had any. Like, it's full of a lot of silliness and fun and frivolity, but all of it is contributing to the larger plot. Which kind of seems like a difficult balance to strike, so again, James Gunn, kudos. And no, this podcast is not sponsored by James Gunn. Okay, moving along to some of my favourite characters. My number one favourite character straight up has to be Peacemaker, aka John Cena. His character is honestly so funny. He's straight up. He's very matter-of-fact, he's completely conceited, and I love everything about him. He definitely gives off self-entitled jock vibes, but I think that John Cena's dialogue delivery makes it for me. He's also just an absolute machine, very efficient on the murderous front. And you may be thinking, but he's called Peacemaker. How could he be so bloodthirsty? And that's actually addressed when he explains, quote, I cherish peace with all my heart. I don't care how many men, women, and children I need to kill to get it. King of irony. And then my next favourite character is probably Polkadot. As I've said, his superpower slash villainous weapon is throwing polka dots at people. Like, he manifests brightly coloured circular discs and uses them to murder. Already, you've sold me. Plus, the character himself I also find really funny. He's just so earnest. He's like a begrudging villain. He even says, I don't like murdering people, but if I imagine them, my mum, it helps. So he strives to be good, but is undone by his repressed mummy issues. A more sympathetic Norman Bates. And then my third and final favourite character is King Shark, voiced by Sylvester Stallone. I mean, he's a criminal turned crime fighting shark. And when I say shark, I use the term so lightly, it literally looks like a guy in a shark costume, with the voice and intonation of Kevin from The Office. At this point, I was literally like, what am I watching? But that is 100% not a complaint. Now, let's move on to some of my least favourite characters. Honestly, there aren't many. I'm kind of really liking everyone. It's a great ensemble cast, and I'm enjoying seeing all of these different, wacky, very outrageous personalities interact with one another. But yeah, I guess the obvious choice is Amanda. She may be fighting for good, but she's certainly channeling evil to do it. She blackmails Robert into joining the squad, a la Mr. Shu blackmailing Finn into joining the Glee Club, but a whole lot worse. She literally murders people if they don't meet expectations. Sure, the people she murders are themselves murderous villains, so the morals are a little blurry, but I'd still classify her as at least a not great person. But we do stand Academy Award winner Viola Davis. She's a queen and she's killing it, as always, she can't help it. And then I guess one of my least favourite characters is probably Pete Davidson. His character was fine in the three lines he had until he sold out his entire squad. No one likes a knock. Snitches get stitches, except in this case, stitches are getting shot in the face. Karma. Okay, so moving on to some speculation. Storylines I think will be expanded upon, or storylines I think should be expanded upon, or what I want to see more or less of in the second half of the film. For addiction, I think that Bloodshot slash Idris Elba and his daughter are gonna mend their relationship. At the moment, things are tense. She screamed at him that he's a terrible father, he screamed at her that she's a terrible criminal, and I get the feeling that family holiday gatherings just would be an explosively angsty time. However, the fact that he's joined this task force, albeit after significant coaxing, in order to stop her from being literally incarcerated is promising. 
and I think is step one in their relationship recovery journey. So I see that developing more and more throughout because we love a wholesome family dynamic and a satisfying problem resolution. This is a mainstream blockbuster after all, we need a happy ending. And then in terms of what I want to see more of, I want to learn more about Peter Capaldi and what makes him tick. Why did he decide to create a mutating starfish that feeds on people's souls? What's his end goal? What's he getting out of it? Was he a Spongebob fan? I just want to know. I also have a few questions that I want to see answered, like will the task force successfully defeat the court Maltese government and save America from being ruled by a giant starfish? And yeah, will Harley Quinn be saved? If I had to guess, the answer to both of these would be yes, but I'm still keen to see more and find out. Moving along to my next category that's always potentially controversial, most problematic moments. But as always, I do have if applicable in brackets because not everything's going to be on PC. I'm going to keep this short and sweet. I don't really think there are any problematic moments. I mean, I guess all of the characters are murderous villains who proceed to kill a bunch of people throughout. And also Bloodshot doesn't seem like the greatest father and role model. And yeah, even Amanda, who's supposed to be on the side of justice, is morally dubious at best. But I think we can all agree that none of these characters are supposed to be shining examples of upstanding citizens. They are not a reflection of what the writers think morality is. They're all very clearly flawed. And that's the point. That's the entire premise of the movie. Now I'm going to pick what category of viewing it is. I always lay out three for myself. The first being trash, meaning that it's horribly written, horribly created, and an overall mess. Treasure, meaning that it's really well produced and made and a cinematic masterpiece. Or guilty pleasure, meaning that it's kind of trashy, it's kind of bad. However, I'm completely lured and I feel bad about the fact that I'm so into it. Now, I'm gonna say that this movie, depending on the eye of the beholder, is either a guilty pleasure or treasure. The reason I say this is just because this film is completely outrageous and campy and very naff, which are classic guilty pleasure ingredients. However, it's also self-awarely so, so it doesn't take itself seriously at all or trying to be anything it's not. So for what it is and wants to be, I'm gonna say it's a treasure. But it's definitely not trash, which honestly, me a few hours ago would be shocked to hear. So moving on to viewing style, who would I watch it with, where would I watch it, and who would I not watch it with, aka the least and most ideal viewing circumstances. I think the ideal viewing circumstance would be seeing this in a cinema with a group of friends. It's a superhero blockbuster, jam-packed with loud, in-your-face gore and violence. It's made for the big screen. And it's such a heightened film that sharing your viewing experience with others who are down for a good time would, yeah, be just that, a good time. I would say don't watch it if you're after some slow-moving, reverently crafted, Avengers-style superhero fare, but do watch it if you're a fan of Deadpool and Kick-Ass and are just looking for a stress-free, completely shallow, fleetingly fun, total bloodbath. And the least ideal viewing circumstance would probably be watching at home on one, two, three movies. Whoops. Now, the penultimate question. Will I keep going with the rest of the film? You can probably tell already, yeah. I want to see what happens. But also I just want to continue being entertained. I think I can probably answer the majority of the questions that are currently up in the air at this halfway point, but I just genuinely want to see the second half of the film. I want to see more of the characters' interactions. I'm keen to see if any other major characters are killed off. Who knows what can play out in the next hour and six minutes and 30 seconds. So now, my final question, rating out of five. 
I think I'm going to give The Suicide Squad a 3 slash 3.5 out of 5. It's a fun way to spend two hours, or at least I can tell you it's a fun way to spend one hour so far. The time has completely flown by. It's funny, it's unsubtle, it's got a great ensemble cast who have a great rapport, and as I've said a bunch throughout this podcast, I really like James Gunn's approach to direction. I like that he objectively has taken what worked about the 2016 film, incorporated it, and put his own spin on it. He also directed Guardians of the Galaxy Volumes 1 and 2, and that sense of levity is very much present. So, overall, definitely would recommend. If you weren't a fan of the 2016 one, maybe you'll get out of this reimagining what you were seeking in the first one. If you were a fan of the first one, I think you'll enjoy seeing the elements that made that one good reflected in this new version, with some added fun stuff. And that's pretty much all I have for you. Thank you so much for listening. If you're at all lured by the sound of this film, then watch it, I think, on HBO Max in America and in Australia. I think the only option is to watch it illegally until the world opens up again. And I'll talk to you next week where I will actually be reviewing the pilot of iCarly. For once, I know what I will be talking about. This is a one-off. Don't get used to it. And I'll talk to you then. Bye.